All right. Well, for the uh, topic of the sermon this evening, we're looking at Christ as our prophet. Christ has three offices that he fulfills as our mediator and redeemer, prophet, priest, and king. And tonight we're looking particularly at his office as, a, as our great prophet. Uh, so let's uh, look at these two shorter catechism questions and then we'll turn to the scripture. And I'll just read, I'll just read these. Question 23, what offices doth Christ execute as our Redeemer? Christ, as our Redeemer, executeth the offices of a prophet, of a priest, and of a king, both in his estate of humiliation and exaltation. 24, how doth Christ execute the office of a prophet? Christ executes the office of a prophet and revealing to us by his word and spirit, the will of God for our salvation. Let's turn to the Bible now. First of all, Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 to 22. Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 22. This is God's word, loved ones. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. According to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. And our New Testament text, our sermon text tonight is Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 4. Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 4. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he's appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's seek him now that he might bless it to us. Lord, we pray once again that you would open our eyes to see wondrous things in your word that you would shine upon us and in the written word thy very self display. Make our hearts the good soil 
bearing fruit to eternal life. This we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Once in my time at the University of Maine as an undergraduate student there, I got in a conversation with another student, a fellow student. I didn't know him, but uh, we bumped into each other there on the, on the lawn in front of the library. And we, we were listening to a fellow who was actually uh, preaching there in the open air on the campus. And the student and I started discussing Christianity. And I said I was a Christian. And, and he, uh, he started asking, well, how do you know? How do you know God? Right? He wanted to see evidence. He was asking for evidence. It was a sunny day. He gestured to the sun and he said, right, I believe in the sun because I can see it. It's right there. You and I can both see it. It's self-evident. He wanted to see empirical, hard evidence for God. That's the question he was pushing. How would you answer the question? How do you know? Why do you believe? How do you know that the God you believe in is the right one? How do you know that you are, uh, have certainty about this? How, how do you know that the way of salvation you believe in is the right one? All these different religions, all these different philosophies and worldviews and lifestyles offer all these options for what kind of a God or not you believe in or what kind of way of salvation you might pursue. How do we know? The simplest and clearest answer is we believe in God, this God, the God of the Bible, because he's shown himself to us. He's revealed himself to us. He's a speaking God. And he's spoken to us. He said, this is who I am. This is the way of salvation. He's told us. How do we know, though, that his word is his word? How do we know the Bible is the word of God, that we can trust this revelation from God, that it is what it is, that, that it is what it says it is, what it claims to be? We could, we could look at the scriptures, right? And we could point to different evidence in the Bible that it is God's word, right? We could say 66 books written by all these different guys over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and they all have the same unity and the same message, we could, we could say, what kind, of, what kind of human author would write a book in which the humans are the villains and God is the only hero? We could say, what kind of man would come up with a book that gives all the glory to God and absolutely none to man? We could look at how the, book is, uh, the Bible is so heavenly-minded. We could, we could look at the glorious way of salvation, the unthinkable way of salvation the Bible presents. So different from every other religion's way of salvation which is all, do this to be saved. And the Bible says, God has done this, therefore you can be saved if you just trust in him. Right? Who would ever think of such a thing? We could, we could point to all those things which do evidence that the Bible is the word of God. But ultimately, the reason we trust this is the word of God is because it's self-authenticating. It's self-authenticating. Right? If, if we say that we have to point to some other thing to prove that this is the Word of God, we make that other thing our final authority. Right? If we say we need to stack up this evidence, this empirical evidence that it is the Word of God, then what am I saying? I'm saying that stuff's more authoritative for me than this Word of God is. And if the Word of God is the Word of God, it has to be the only ultimate authority for us. 
Brothers and sisters, when God speaks, you can't miss it. Right? His word is self-evidently God's word. And that's why we believe the word of God is the word of God. We don't have uh, eyes to see it in ourselves. The spirit has to come and, 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 and convince us of that because of the deadness of, of our sinful hearts. But this is how we believe. It's because the Spirit comes. He opens our deaf ears to recognize the voice of God in the Bible. That's why we believe what we believe. Because God has spoken. And His Word is so clear. This is how the book of Hebrews begins. By telling us, God is a speaking God. God has Spoken, and you can trust him. He's a self-revealing God. Loved ones, aren't you so thankful that he's spoken? That he's given us the Bible? That he's revealed himself to us? He hasn't left us in the dark to, to kind of stumble and confuse, be confused and, and, and trip over ourselves trying to figure out who he is, the way of salvation. He's given us this bright light of his word. One commentator puts it, this way, had God remained silent and shrouded in thick darkness, the plight of mankind would have been desperate indeed. But now he has spoken his revealing, redeeming, life-giving word. And in his light, we see light. That's how the book of Hebrews begins. God has spoken his life-giving, self-revealing word. But how does that word come to us? How does, how does the word of God come? Did God just sort of send it, you know, in a static form, just kind of send the completed Bible to Moses? It shows up, it drops into his hands, the full, complete scriptures. How does God's word come? And this is what Hebrews 1 is discussing for us as well. God gives his word to uh, his people. And he, he gives them bits and pieces at a time. He gives them, he gives them a, just the seed form at the very beginning, right? And the DNA, picture an acorn. This is how he gives his word to his people. It's like an acorn. The DNA for the full mature oak tree is all there. All the potential for it is all there, but it's in a seed form. It's not developed yet. That's how he gives his word at first. And then through the Old Testament, that word starts to, starts to, starts to grow. Starts to put out roots, starts to put up a sapling, starts to grow and increase, a branch here, a branch there. Some, sometimes there's more growth, sometimes there's slower growth. And then finally, finally in Christ, it stands a full, mature tree. And as the author of the Hebrews looks at how God has given this self-revealing word to his people, the author of the Hebrews wants us to see two things, two distinct stages in this word of God that he's given. He says two things here. He says this is, this is the word that God gave through the prophets long ago. This is the word God has given in these last days. He wants to see two distinct stages in the development of God's self-revelation over the course of biblical history. He starts by describing God's word long ago. God's word long ago. Verse 1, he says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. 
He's setting up a contrast for us about God's Word in the past, God's Word now. And he starts with looking at God's Word in the time of the prophets. He tells us here that God spoke in various times in the past. So God's Word in the past came and went. Came and went. God would give it in pieces and bits and it would unfold as we were saying. He would speak sometimes a great deal, right? Moses, he speaks a lot. There's a time like Judges, he's not speaking uh, as much and not giving as much self-revelation as he did at the time of Moses. God speaks in various times. That's the way his revelation used to come. Second, we're told in verse 1 that God used to also speak in various ways. So not only was it Varied in its time and its coming. It was also varied in its form. Sometimes he'd give a dream or a vision. Sometimes he'd give direct words through his prophets. Sometimes a voice of God would speak audibly with his people. We see God speaking face to face with Moses in Exodus 33:11. Thus the Lord used to speak face to face to Moses as a man speaks to his friend. God speaks various times, various ways through the prophets in the Old Testament. So what we can see, we can describe God's past revelation, pre-Christ, as uh, incremental and multiform. Incremental, right? It, it, it's, it's incremental. It's, it's, uh, it comes in bits and pieces. It grows and progresses, but it's not, not all at once. And it comes in these different multiform ways. That means, loved ones, that yes, it's the Word of God. It's perfectly sufficient in the Old Testament for its purpose at the time. But still, in the Old Testament, it's an incomplete word. It's a word of anticipation and a word of expectancy and of promise. Not a complete word yet. Sufficient for its time, but not yet complete in the Old Testament covenant. This tells us a couple things about that we need to understand about the Old Testament. Um, first, because it is telling us that, that God's revelation of himself progresses over time, it tells us that God's uh, word in the Old Testament is driving us towards the fulfillment. It's a book that demands a sequel. The author of the Hebrews isn't setting up this contrast where he's saying God used to speak through the prophets in these ways. Now he's doing something entirely different. Now he's saying God used to speak in these ways and now he's brought it to fulfillment and completion in his son. We see this as the book of Hebrews unfolds. He's not saying God spoke differently uh, now from then in, in a completely divorced way. No, he's saying This word that God has spoken in His Son is the fulfillment of the word He spoke before in the prophets. For example, in chapter 1, verse 8 here of Hebrews, He describes Christ in the New Covenant, of course, Christ based on a text from the Old Testament, Psalm 45. This means that all of the Old Testament, all of it, is expecting Christ, anticipating Christ. Christ. Second thing this tells us is that the Old Testament, while incomplete in the sense that it's anticipatory and demands the sequel, while incomplete in that way, it is still all about Jesus Christ. 
the Old Testament is no less a revelation about Christ than the New Testament is a revelation about Christ. The Old Testament types, right? The Old Testament's filled with all these types pointing us forward to Jesus and types pointing us up to the eternal Son. Right? In the Old Testament, that's the direction the types and the shadows point. Forward to Christ coming in time and upward to the eternal Son in heaven, communicating God's grace to the people in Christ through that heavenly reality. So God's Word in the Old Covenant is incremental, it's multiform, it's anticipating Christ, it's about Christ. And finally, we see in the Old Testament, revelation about God was mediated through prophets. We saw this in the text in Exodus. Uh, As God promises a prophet to come, he promises that this prophet will be a mediator between God, bring the people to God, uh, and speak God's word to the people. All right, and then in contrast with this, the author of the Hebrews then describes God's word now, as he calls it in these last days. God's word in these last days. Let's turn our attention there. As, as the author of the Hebrews uh, comes into verse 2 and talks about these last days, he's, he's making this, this marked switch, right? We, we're moving from one age to a new age, the end times. This is how the Bible organizes all of history. There's the times past and there's the last days, these last days that we're living in now, that we have been living in since Christ. And the age that we're living in these last days is the time of fulfillment, the time of completion. And and the author of the Hebrews is saying this is crucial for you to see because it means that God's word has come in a final and full form, lacking, lacking nothing. He's brought that oak tree to perfect maturity now in these last days. He's revealed himself perfectly and fully so that he cannot reveal himself any more perfectly or any more fully. Notice the contrast here in verse 2 from verse 1, right? We said in in, in the past, God's word was incremental and partial and came through these prophets. Yes, about Christ, but but still waiting for that full fulfillment. Wasn't the full picture. Now the author to the Hebrews is saying, now the full picture has come. The full revelation of God has come. And it's not coming incrementally, It's come all at once in Christ. He doesn't just give us a little bit more of the picture. Christ gives us the whole picture. One of the commentators says that this is that Jesus, the Son, is God's last best word. That's what verse 2 is saying. In these last days, God has spoken to us in His Son a full and final revelation through none other than the Son of God Himself. Now, as the book of Hebrews is being written, it's being written, or it was, I think, uh, written as a sermon, but it's written to a, to a group of people who are struggling with the temptation to go back to the Old Testament way of doing things. They looked at what they had in Christ. They looked at what they had in the Old Testament and thought, maybe there's something better there in the Old Testament. There's more drama more color, 
uh, right, more, 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 more uh, ceremony. There's, right, they, they looked at the Old Testament revelation. They said that revelation was mediated through angels. I mean, that's, that's great. Let's, let's, let's go back to that. Now, we probably are not tempted in that same way to look back at the Old Testament and say that's the fuller word, that's the better and more final word, better than what we have in Christ. But perhaps we are tempted to look for other revelation beyond Christ, more words from God beyond what He's shown us in His Son. Tempted to look for some special direct revelation to us from the Holy Spirit. All right, that's, this is what so much of the charismatic movement is about. Seeking God to give me a, a special word right now, right apart from the Scriptures. A vision, a prophecy, a dream, speaking in tongues, something extra beyond what He's told me in Jesus Christ. Or some special word of guidance from His Spirit beyond what He's told me in His Word. Why should God's Word in Christ be enough? Maybe we're limiting God by saying Jesus is the final best word he said. The author of the book here of uh, Hebrews is saying, well, let me tell you a little bit about this son who's revealing God to you. If you see and understand who this son is, you'll understand why the word God has given us in this Jesus is full and final and sufficient. He tells us in verses 2 to 3 who this Son is so that we see this is the final sufficient word from God. First, he says, Jesus is the Son of God. That means that Jesus is the royal Son, the Messiah, the King. Verse 2, he says, His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things. As we listen to that, maybe you hear the echo, the allusion there to Psalm 2, verses 7 to 8. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. Right, that psalm is promising the Messiah King is going to have this glorious inheritance of all the nations. He's going to be the heir of all things. The author of the Hebrews is saying, This is the one, the Christ, the Messiah. Fulfillment of everything the Old Testament was about. So he's saying to the, to, the, to the Hebrews here, he's saying, are you going to look for a different word from God, a, a better and more final word from God than the one he sent through the one who's the fulfillment of everything he said before? This is the Christ. All Scripture was pointing to him. Are you going to listen to, to someone else instead of Christ? Or look for God to say something more than he said through the Messiah? But while... This son is the Messiah and the king. Therefore, we should listen to him as God's final and best word. He's also more than that. He's also the divine son, the eternal son of God. Verse 2 goes on. He says, this son is the one through whom God made the worlds. So this son that God is speaking to us through is the creator. He made everything. Everything that exists, He made it. And then the verse goes on and and says in verse 3 that He upholds it all by His all-powerful Word. That He created everything and He sustains everything by His all-powerful Word. Let that sink in. Christ, the Son, holds the universe 
together by his word. Every atom in existence is doing his bidding and being upheld by his sovereign word. Every action in the universe is superintended by his word. Are you going to listen to someone else? Ask for more than the word that you get from the maker and sustainer of everything. Are you going to say, I need something more? I need more than the creator and sustainer of all creation can give me. I need more than what he can tell me. But then there's more. Still more reason to receive what God has said in his son as the fulfillment of all God's revelation about himself. And that is, as we read on here, that he is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person. Those two descriptions, the brightness of God's glory, the express image of God's person, those two descriptions of Jesus bring us to the very center, the very core of Jesus' identity as the Son. We're not talking here anymore about the role the Son takes in redemptive history as the Messiah or his role as creator and sustainer. We're talking about who he is in himself, in the eternal Godhead, second person of the Trinity. He is the radiance, the brightness, the effulgence, the brilliance, the light of the glory of God. The word there suggests, or it's the word used to describe the radiance of the sun's light coming forth from the sun. That's something, it's a picture for us of what Christ, the eternal Son, is to the Father. The radiance, the brightness of God. And then the text says he's the express image of his person. The word there is, is the word used for a stamp, right? You stick it into the, or for, for a, like a mold, you stick it into the clay for the seal on a letter perhaps, or into the wax for the seal of a letter. You pull it out, and the, the exact representation of the stamp is then impressed into the clay or into the wax. And that's what Jesus is. He's the exact replica of God. Bears the very stamp of God's nature. One translation puts it here. Another commentator says, what God essentially is is made manifest in Christ. Jesus says, John 14, 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so as that Son, the perfect impress of all that God is, is made man, he makes that visible. He comes as the great prophet revealing to us who God is, making visible all that God is. And all that God has decided for how we are to be saved. And so the the sum of all this is, how can we ask for more from God by way of a word, by way of revelation? How can we not be content with the word God has spoken to us in his son? If we are doubting or um, wrestling with the sufficiency of what God has said, to us in his scriptures about Jesus Christ. And we're saying, well, that's not enough. Well, perhaps it suggests, loved ones, that our heart does not actually want the God of the Bible. It wants a different God, a God of our own making. Jesus reveals to us all the glory of God that we can comprehend and see. God has held nothing back from us that we need to know about him and about our salvation. 
We can't improve on that. What does all this mean for us? Christ is the full revelation of God. What what does all this mean for us? He's the best, last word, the final and full revelation of God. How do we apply this? I want to turn now in uh, these last few minutes to draw out five points of application for us. Five points of application from the fact that Jesus is our prophet who reveals God in a full and final way to us. First is this. Jesus is the full revelation of the Father. When we see Him, we know the Father. Do you want to know who God is? The invisible, eternal, unchangeable God? Look at Jesus Christ. I know that many, uh, many believers struggle to understand God's love for them. They get a sense of the Father as, as vindictive, arbitrary, even mean. But Christ is the full display of the Father. All that the Father is, the Son displays to us, shows us. If we've seen Him, we've seen the Father. So look at Christ. Look at His love for sinners. Look at His compassion for the sinful and the weak and the suffering. That is who God is for you. Look at Christ and His righteousness and His holiness. That's who God is as well. We know who God is by knowing Jesus. That's the first point of application. Know God through Jesus Christ. Trust that God is who He is as you look at Christ and see who He is. Second thing, Jesus is the final and full revelation of the Father. And that means that we should not look for any other word. We should treat this word that God has given us about Jesus Christ as the sufficient word. Don't look for prophecies. Don't look for dreams and visions. Don't look for speaking in tongues. Don't look for for special, unique guidance from God that He audibly gives you. He has spoken in His Word. Go there. That's the Word He's given you. Go there. Anything else would be either contradictory or superfluous. He's given us all we need to know in the Scriptures. This is not a dead letter. Um, Sometimes people think that if, if we don't believe in the continuation of some of the charismatic gifts we see in the New Testament, that that we don't really have a living, vital relationship with God, that He's not speaking to us in a vital way, but He is in His Word. As we read it, as we hear it preached, He speaks, living an active Word of God, as Hebrews calls it. So don't look to any other Word. Don't look for any other additional revelation. Look to the Word of God here in the Scriptures. Uh, Third thing, if Jesus is what we're saying he is, full revelation of God the Father, you need to listen. You should treat his word like the most valuable thing in this earth, the most precious thing this world affords. If this word is the word of Jesus Christ, the revelation of all that God is, are you treating it like that? Are you hungering after the word? Are you getting into the word? day by day? And are you not only, you know, cracking your Bible, checking off the day's reading, but are you listening and repenting and obeying? This is not a word you can 
read and set aside without danger to your soul. All right, this is just another book. This is the living Word of God. We've got to read it, and then we've got to heed it. Listen to it. Mark it. Pay attention to it. This is the very Word of the Creator and Sustainer of the universe. Pay attention to it. Every single word of it. Fourth thing. What we're talking about here bears on how we read this word. How we read the Old Testament and the New Testament, both. We always, right, if Christ is the full final revelation of, of God, then it means we have to read all of Scripture, Old and New Testament, through Christ, with, with Christ in mind. Every, every time I'm preparing to preach and looking at a text, Old or New Testament, I always try to remind myself, as I was, you know, other people taught me, that every single sermon needs to preach Christ. And that every single text runs through Christ. Or the application of every text comes through Christ to me. Old Testament, New Testament, it's all about Him. So I encourage you, loved ones, in your private Bible study, you're reading in the Old Testament, you're reading in the New, wherever you are, think through carefully, how does this verse, how does this chapter teach me about the Lord Jesus Christ? How is it fulfilled in Christ? And then how in Christ does it apply to me? Fifth point of application. You can have complete confidence in God and in your salvation because you know that Jesus has perfectly revealed God and that way of salvation to you. This gives us complete confidence in God. Complete confidence in the way of salvation. We began by talking a bit about this. We are not guessing at who God is and how we are to be saved. This isn't just our best idea. We're not just imagining this thing. Well, that sounds really nice. I'll pick that. This is what God has said. There's such a sweet confidence for us here. Such a rest for us here. So many people who do not know Christ and His Word are just at sea, adrift. Just not having any clue who God is or what the way of salvation is. That's not us. We've got the Word of God, the sure and certain Word, like a, like a bedrock underneath all of our lives. Unshakable, a firm foundation. We have seen God. We've heard Him speak in His Word. We've seen Jesus Christ, His Son. And it's like seeing the Son, S-U-N. Right? You see it and you just know. We've seen Him. We recognize the reality of what he's done. My friend there, my fellow student at the University of Maine, was looking for a compelling argument as to the evidence of God, why he should believe um, some empirical evidence. But uh, as Tim Keller has put it well, I think, God has given us not so much a watertight argument as a watertight person, a compelling person. The argument is Christ Himself in His glory and His sufficiency, and that's what we see in the Word here. So rest your faith in that, loved ones. 
Rest your confidence in that, right? Because we all, we all do doubt and struggle to believe at times and wrestle with unbelief. Are we sure about what we believe? Is this really the way of salvation? Is God really who He says He is? Look on your Lord Jesus Christ. Get in the Word and continue to seek Him out there. Take your doubts and your wrestlings with unbelief to the great prophet who speaks the sure and certain and final and full and last best word, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you've revealed yourself to us with perfect clarity in our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would remove the blinders from our eyes and clarify our spiritual vision to see him more clearly. We know it's not a lack of clarity in Christ, but a lack of faith in us that clouds our vision at times. We pray that by your spirit, you give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to love and obey our Savior and our prophet, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.